Amen, amen. Hey, do me a favor. Do an air high five, right? If, if you came with them, you can high five them, but just kind of greet them for a moment. Just maybe do a little air high five. And in 2020, uh, we're, not, we're not touching people as much in 2020. It's a little different culture, as you may know. Hey, welcome to Victory at Home. If you're watching with us online, so glad to have you. We always love to have our online family. We have seen the church grow so much through our online family. And even though we haven't been able to meet you, it's so uh, incredible to have you here. We are lucky enough to have a few people with us this morning. Come on, let me hear you real quick. Give a shout to those that are watching. Yeah. Oh, y'all in trouble. We got a rowdy crowd this morning, so you know what that means. I tend to feed off of people, so the rowdier they get, the rowdier I'm going to get. Um, but it is really good to have you. We, In case you are just tuning in or maybe you're visiting with us for the first time, um, we are in a brand new series. I say brand new because I feel like every week we are learning something brand new, but it's in a series called The Journey. And when I first brought this up to our church, I said, hey, listen, we might be in this series for four, five, six, seven months. I don't know how long it'll be. Because what we really wanted to do is we wanted to start with the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, and we wanted to go through it, and we wanted to come away with this idea of exactly who Jesus is. And I'll talk more about this later, but one of the things that I feel like the Lord has really been speaking to me recently is, is the power of expository preaching which is just taking that verse and the next verse. And so I don't know that I'll ever walk away from it again as the pastor of this church. It's just been phenomenal for us. And we've just been kind of going through it. We've been taking our time. So for example, we just spent about three weeks in John chapter six. Uh, today we will start John chapter seven. But uh, it's just been, it's been phenomenal. I continue to hear testimonies from people who are saying, wow, I never looked at it that way. I never thought about it that way. And in a time where so many people are saying they're Christians, and if you were here last week or you watched last week, uh, we talked about how that, that, that concept has become uh, a loaded label because so many people are saying it, but they're not acting like it and different things. And, um, and so we're just continuing to learn how to be a Christ follower. And so two things I've asked you. Number one is to, if you can, get you a paper Bible. One of those reasons is so that you can write in it, take notes in it, highlight things so that you can be able to study it better. Also, I've asked you to get a journal. And the reason I've asked you to do that is because sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak to you things I didn't even say, um, and you can write those things down, and then not only can you go back and look at them and learn from them later on, but you can actually turn around and use them to teach other people. And this is something I think the Lord's going to really call us to um, here in the near future, is to really turn around and disciple people. And so these series, this series is a great tool for discipleship. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Take notes, uh, highlight in your Bible, have that with you. Um, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today, John chapter 7. If you've got your phone, by all means, turn there as well. We'll start John chapter 7, verse 1. As you are turning there, let me just remind those that are with us and those that are watching online that on December 6th, we will have our annual end of the year giving where we as a church come together and we pray and we give faithfully. And here's what that's about. We've started this since the day we launched the church. And the idea is, is at the end of the year, we look back on that year and we look at all the great things that God has done. And I know you say, man, 2020 is not the year to look back on. I understand that, but it kind of is. Like, like God has done some really phenomenal things, and we shared that a couple weeks ago, some of the great things God has done in this year. And so we kind of look back, and we see the faithfulness of God, and then we go to pray and say, all right, God, we want to give sacrificially as a way of saying thank you for all that you've blessed me with. And, and then we do that. And at the end of the year, people have, have different years. People are doing it and being blessed by it. And here's what I tell our church. I feel like this is the easiest way to do it. You pray about it. If God doesn't tell you to give anything, don't give anything. But if you pray about it and God tells you to give something, then be faithful in what he tells you to do. I, I, don't ever give anything because I ask you to do. Do it, and, and scripture's really clear on this. You should be prepared about what you're gonna give and you should be proud of it and excited about it. And so I encourage you to do that. December 6th, we will do it all together and we will turn around every year. We turn around and take those funds and put them back into events and outreaches so that people can hear the gospel. Amen? You ready? John chapter 7, here we go, turn there, John chapter 7, verse 1, continuing in the journey. Now, let me give some context before we jump into this, in case you haven't been tuning in with us. Jesus uh, was going around performing miracles, and he had this large crowd following him. He, uh, some of you might know the famous miracle where he turns uh, some bread and some fish into a massive meal, and he feeds all these people, and this crowd is following him, and then he decides, this, they're only following me because they want my miracle, so he tries to get away from them, and he goes to the other side of the lake, and then the disciples follow him there anyway, and they start asking him all these questions, and then Jesus 
Jesus gives them a very hard teaching. That's what we talked about last week with our sermon, Christian-ish, is he gives this hard teaching, and then because of his hard teaching, a bunch of followers leave him, and so we're picking up after that. So he's just had kind of a max exodus of people that are following him, and we're picking up in John 7, chapter 1. It says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee And he did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Now, understand real quick, Jesus is not fearful. He is not uh, avoiding people because he doesn't want to be killed. Jesus is operating by God's timing, and it's not God's timing for him to be killed. And so that's why that is even in the Bible. It says, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles, that'll be important, we'll talk about it in a minute, was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. Leave here, go there so that they can see all that you can do. No one, here's kind of my favorite line, and you'll need to remember this later. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Nobody who wants to be known stays in private. Since you are doing these things, since you're doing all these great miracles, hey, go and show yourself to the world. I think if I could give a theme to our current culture, it would be showing ourselves to the world. It goes on to say, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that, it wor- that its works are evil. And then here we go, ending it up. It says, you go to the festival, Jesus says, for I'm not going up to the festival because my time has ya- not yet fully Come And after he said this, he stayed in Galilee. Now watch this. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. I want to share with you for just a moment from the concept, don't do it for the gram. Look at the person beside you and say, don't do it for the gram. I I don't know how many of y'all are social media people, um, and I don't know how many of y'all are Instagram people. But I recently found out that Instagram has a feature where you can do a couple of different things and you can label yourself as a public figure. It's actually a feature on it. It comes up on your profile page right under your name. You can be assigned the, 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 the identity public figure. Now, according to Instagram, public figure is defined as someone who has a public interest or fame. Okay? So in other words, people in public are interested in you. You're famous to them. That is what they define a public figure as. Instagram recommends, watch this, that you have at least 30,000 followers before you actually become a public figure. They say, hey, if you don't already have 30,000 followers, the chances of you being famous or a public interest is probably slim, so don't do it. However, I have found this out that there are actually ways that you can kind of hack the system, okay? You can kind of go around, and despite how many followers you have, you can make yourself a public figure. You can go to Facebook and push a couple of buttons, and so even if you had six followers, you could label yourself as a person of interest of public fame. Isn't that interesting? We, We are creating sneaky ways to force ourselves into becoming a public figure. Meanwhile, when you combine all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you put all 89 chapters together, there are four of those chapters that talk about the earlier life of Jesus. Out of 89 chapters, four of them talk about the first 30 years of Jesus's life. Jesus had 36 months of notoriety and 30 years of obscurity. Our culture is trying to force our way into being a public figure. And the Son of God, the Messiah, the possible uh, Savior of the world, per se, only had 36 months of notoriety and 30 years of obscurity. It's actually stunning to think about how little we know about the early lives of Jesus. Think about this, okay? Now, now, the reason why I say the possible savior of the world is because the people that are following him, they don't know that, right? They're starting to assume it. Some of them are starting to believe it. But he hasn't died and resurrected yet. 
So they're following this man, and watch this. For 30 years, Jesus' godness was hidden. His glory was obscured. His power was muted. His praise was silenced. And his life was unknown, unnoticed, and ignored. Right? So, what if, what if anonymity is actually a gift? And what if obscurity isn't a curse, but it's a cure? What, what if the goal isn't for us to be so publicly known? We've been following the life of Jesus, trying to learn these lessons from Jesus, who Jesus is and why Jesus did this. And, and wouldn't, it just be, wouldn't it just make sense for us to take a moment and say, there must be something to the fact that the Savior of the world had 36 months of fame, and 30 years, 30 years of hiddenness. Meanwhile, you and I live in a culture and we are raising our kids in a culture where everyone wants to be a public figure. Isn't that interesting? Look back at John chapter 7. Because, it, I mean, it actually says it. I think it sets it up so perfectly because in just the first few verses, his brothers are talking to him and they say, watch this. They say, no one, verse four, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. No one who wants to be famous eats their dinner without posting it online. Did y'all catch that? Y'all gonna have to wake up a little bit. I need a little bit more laughing here, right? No, no one who wants to be a public figure Acts in secret. And then here's my favorite part. They say, hey, since you're doing these things, right, since you're doing these miracles, you should show yourself to the world. Now, now, in order for you to really understand the conversation that's happening here, I have got to give you the context, okay? Walk with me for a moment. Jesus was famous. At this current moment, Jesus was famous. But he was not famous because of social media, and he was not famous because of television, and he was not even famous because of the newspaper. Jesus was famous simply because of word of mouth. It, it, that, that's how his fame was getting around. Most of the people that were yearning to meet Jesus didn't even know what he looked like. Because the word had traveled of all the things that he did. No, I mean, people didn't even really know what he looked like. So they would kind of look for the crowds, and they looked for the energy and the excitement. And so he had this fame, right? because of the word of mouth that traveled. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think it's true that bad news travels faster than good news? Right? Okay. I agree too, just FYI. So imagine when Jesus says something difficult and half or 70% or whatever percentage you want to give it of his followers leave him. Can you imagine how fast that news traveled? Everybody, did you hear about Jesus? Oh my goodness, did you hear about Jesus? Everybody left him. All of his followers, they just, they just left. Did you hear about Jesus? Like, it's following. It's going around, right? And his brothers, even though they don't necessarily even really believe he's the, the savior of the word either, they step back, and here's what they say. They say, my goodness, Jesus' reputation is being ruined. Right? Everybody couldn't wait to be around Jesus. Now everybody's talking about how his followers are leaving him. And so his brothers step up and go, it's our responsibility to repair his reputation. Side sermon, it is not our responsibility to repair Jesus' reputation. That's, that's not our responsibility. You don't have to try to make up for Jesus, all right? But they stepped in and said, oh my goodness, the news is starting to travel a little bit. People are starting to say maybe he's not the Messiah. People are starting to say maybe he's a failure. And so we have to repair his reputation. And they step up to Jesus and they say, we've got the strategy to fix your popularity. And here was their plan. This is so great. This is literally something we would do today, okay? So they come to Jesus and they say, all right, listen, here's the deal. You said some tough stuff. I wish you wouldn't have, but you've got this pattern of when all of a sudden people start following you, you like to say crazy things and then people leave. So that's a problem. Now everybody's talking about you and how your followers left you, so we've got a plan. We've got a strategy to get you back into popularity. And here's the strategy. Over in Judea, there is this festival of tabernacles. Jesus, you're familiar with it. We also call it the festival of booths. 
And the reason why it's called the Festival of Booths is because this, the Jewish people would come from all over, thousands of people, and they would build these little makeshift hut-looking things. And they were made of branches and leaves, and they would actually live there for a little bit of time in remembrance and honor and praise to God and Moses for leading them out of slavery of Egypt. It was called the, it was like a little religious Woodstock, <laughs> right? Just, just little boots all over the place. And thousands of people would gather and they would come and they would build their little makeshift hut and they would live in there for however long it was and they would just do it in remembrance of Moses releasing us and Jesus' brothers say, we got it. Let's go to Judea because there are literally thousands of, you don't even have to go in the synagogue. You don't even have to walk into the church. You just walk up to the little religious Woodstock and start doing some of the miracles that you do. Turn somebody's water into wine, grab somebody's lunch and feed everybody around, do some of the things you're doing, and then all of a sudden you will be famous again. And now not only will you gain the 70 or so people that left you before, you will gain Thousands. <laughs> I just picture that dude from The Simpsons. It's always like, you know, I ain't doing that deal. I don't, I don't recommend you watch the show. I'm just saying. Right? So, so they have this whole strategy. Jesus, we're going to help you become popular. And they tempt Jesus to prove himself by going to a bigger platform. You ever felt tempted to prove yourself on a bigger platform? They say, Jesus, you got to go. You got to go. You, you got to be able to get to Judea and get famous again so that people will follow you again so that you can become a public figure. You need to prove that you are Jesus. One of the things that I see happening in our culture today that I think you'll all agree with is, is this almost like subliminal concept that you have to post it to prove it. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you go on vacation or something, you almost feel like if I don't post that we were on the beach, then did we actually go to the beach? You know what I mean? Like, like I mean, like it's just kind of that. And I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, my wife posts everything. But I'm just saying like, like it, I mean, it's, just, it's almost like this feeling we get inside of us. And I'll give you the best example. Let's go to the most recent presidential election. When it came time to vote and you got the little sticker, right? And everybody was posting, right? I and mean, people were like, you know, I voted. It got so crazy that people were having to get creative with the sticker. They were like sticking it on their nose, you know what I mean, and their hat. And I actually had friends tell me, proving to me that this is true, they would say jokingly, but they would say, you know, if you don't post it, it didn't happen. And, and, and I'm, listen, I'm just saying that's kind of the culture that we're in. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you want to prove it, you got to post it. Like that's just, you got to let people know what you are doing. And it made me think, do you know what it would be like if one of us was Jesus in today's culture? We'd be posting everything. You know what I'm talking about? We'd be doing miracles on TikTok. We'd be dropping like spiritual bombs on Twitter. You know, we would just be out there on Instagram. Like you would have one picture would be like the bread and the next picture would be like thousands of crumbs feeding people. Like we would just be all, we would want everybody to know who we are. It's just naturally, I guess, in us. There's just this desire for people to know who, for people to think that we are important. That's what they were telling Jesus. You are losing your followers. People are unfriending you, Jesus. You need to get out there and you need to perform so that people will follow you again. Were the unrecorded parts of Jesus' life any less significant? Were the 30 years that are summed up into four chapters, a couple of baby stories and a toddler or a young story when he was in the synagogue teaching. Um, were, were all the other years less valuable? We're talking about Jesus Christ here. You know what I mean? Like, like, was there ever a moment 
where it wasn't significant to God's plan simply because we didn't know about it? Is it possible that people don't have to know about a moment in your life for it to have significance? Is it possible that unseen doesn't mean unimportant? Right? Maybe God doesn't have the desire to promote everything that he does in your life. Maybe there's a time and maybe there's not a time. Our culture has developed, listen to this please, our culture has developed a mindset that if someone is important or if they have a life of value, they will tell us about it. Am I right? Like, like if this person has value in their life, they're gonna, if they do something of value, they're going to tell me about it. They're going to post it on their Instagram. What you don't see people doing, when's the last time you saw mama just cooking in the kitchen? That's important, right? How about the mom who's changing the diapers? How about the dad that's changing the diapers? Women, we know you change more. But you're not going to get that on Instagram, right? We've got this weird twisted mindset that if your life has value, I'm going to know about it. And here's the worst part, watch this. That you're going to post, you're going to have likes, you're going to have comments, you're going to have shares. Watch this. Shaping us to believe. Oh, this is so good. That people who live obscure, anonymous lives must be missing out. If you don't tweet that right now, leave. I'm just kidding. You shouldn't even be on Twitter. Am I right, though? It shapes this mindset that if, like, I'm not out there telling you something, if I'm not on this or a part of this, then I must be missing out on something. <laughs> I told Darla the other day, I said, I think Instagram's kind of a funny concept. And she said, why? I said, well, walk with me for a moment. Instagram is you and I looking at people's pictures, and most of the time, we don't even like the person. <laughs> right? I mean, you follow them because, you know, you do. But you don't really like them. Like, if they called you and was like, hey, I'm moving tomorrow, you'd be like, wrong number. You know what I mean? And here's what I thought was so funny about it. I don't know how many people, like I know my oldest kid is in here. She's not going to remember this, but, but maybe some of the people who are my age or older remember this. Do you remember going to somebody's house and them breaking out a photo album? It was the worst thing in the world. You came over to the house and they're like, hey, I got to show you some pictures. Hold on. And they would get the photo album that looked like the old classic Bible, you know, that was like this fat. And they would put it on the table and they'd be like, look. And they start turning, and you're like, oh my good. You're like looking for windows you can run through. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I got to get out of here. It's the same concept. I was blown away. I, when I had that revelation, I'm like, Dola, do you see it? And she's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, but do you see it? Do you see it? Like, we're just looking through people's photo albums like, ah, oh, oh, oh. yeah. Check this out. The, the people of Jerusalem looked down on the Jews of, of, uh, of Galilee. They, they looked down on the Jews of Galilee. So watch this. The fact that Jesus was doing all of his miracles around there instead of up here was actually one of the reasons they used to try to disprove that Jesus was the Messiah. Because here was their statement. And I'm telling you, this was the re revelation for me. Because he was doing his miracles in front of the wrong audience. So here's my question. Which audience is the right audience? It's kind of quiet like it was last week, you know. Which audience? Families are on the couch, husband phone in hand, wife phone in hand, Kids in, and everybody's trying to see what kind of likes they have and how much their picture did and kind of comments, and they are entertaining one audience while ignoring another. Which audience is the right audience? Now, let me explain before people are like, you're already getting out, right? Because you're like, this guy's hating social media. I'm not bashing social media, okay? I have Facebook. You're watching on Facebook, probably, okay? So I'm not bashing social media. It's a concept. If you stay with me, uh, I'll continue to, to bring it to surface. 
But I, the other day, uh, I, I got the opportunity. One day I took Veda, my oldest, on a date. One day I took Casey Ray, my youngest, on a daddy-daughter date. And for Casey Ray, we went to Cracker Barrel. That's her favorite place. She loves to eat pancakes. Darla can't eat anything at Cracker Barrel. So every time Veda, uh, Casey Ray even mentions a date, I'm like, Cracker Barrel? Because I can eat like a pig for nine bucks. And I can eat a pig for nine bucks. My wife's out of town. That's why I can get away with this kind of stuff. And so... Uh, so we go, and we're eating and all that, and Casey Ray is just, I mean, she's talking nonstop. It's beautiful. Uh, at one point, I just share a little daddy moment with you. At one point, I grabbed her hands, and I looked, and I said, baby, you are so beautiful. And she went, you're so handsome. I was like, oh, I give you all everything. And all everything is, is everything and all, okay. All right, so we're in the restaurant, and there is this circle table beside us, and there's an entire family, kids, adults, grandparents, the whole deal. And everybody, I just happened to look over and everybody was on their phone, the youngest all the way to the oldest. And I'm like, what's the right audience? You know, I, I think that's the question we have to ask our culture today. To you, what is the right audience? Because to the religious leaders that were up in Jerusalem, they didn't think Jesus could possibly be the Messiah because he was wasting his miracles in front of the wrong audience. How many of us are wasting the best of us in front of the wrong audience? Right? We must learn to embrace and enjoy obscurity. Not just embrace it, but enjoy it. And here's my favorite part. And allow it to draw us away from the demands to be applauded and elevated. Draw us away from the, we, we wake up and we want to be applauded and we want to be elevated because the world tells us we should be. I watched a documentary recently on social media and the, one of the creator, he was actually the co-creator of the like button on Facebook. That's, that was his job. And he said, when we created it, we thought we, were gonna, we thought we were creating something that would build people up. We thought we were creating something that would allow people a way to say, hey, great job. He said, we never saw it becoming something that would lead to people committing suicide. Because our culture perverses everything. That's what sin taught us, to perverse everything. Sin's perverse. Well, I won't go. Y'all brought kids. I won't go in certain directions. But... It perverses everything. And so now we've got this social media process and even now it's perverse to the point that we are demanding applauding and we are demanding to be elevated and we are demanding to be noticed and it's moving us to a place of, of, of just complete unhealthiness and we need to abandon it. Listen to me, Jesus did. Jesus did. John chapter seven, verse six, eight, watch this. Therefore, Jesus told him, hey, my time is not Yet here, I love this because Jesus, as I've always said, is he's a capital G, right? Watch this. For you, any time will do. <laughs> like, I'm about a real purpose. So I got to go on time. For you, any time will do. And he goes on to say, the world cannot hate you. This is what we talked about last week. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify that his works are evil. Because I call a spade a spade. And because I do that, the world hates me. You go to the festival. She's like, you go. I am not going up to this festival. They're trying to get Jesus, come on, come perform, come perform, come perform. And Jesus says, that is somewhere I need to purposely stay away from. All right, second question for you. What do you need to purposely stay away from? If you're in your journal, you need to write it down. You need to under, purposely. What do you need to purposely stay away from? I'll share with you something that happened to me recently. So I want to not only give you application, but I want you to be able to see that I walk what I preach. Um, about three or four months ago, I went to Darla, and I said, hey, babe, I, I think that I have created a very unhealthy situation with Instagram. I said, I think that there's some demands there and there's some competitiveness and some comparison and it's unhealthy for me and I want to do away with it. And I said, but I don't know how strong I'm gonna be at doing away with it because obviously the, the whispers in my ear is what if somebody from the church needs you? What if they message you on Instagram and then you're not there to respond and they say, I hate you and they leave the church? It happens. Um, and so I was like, you know, I just, so I, in this mindset, I was like, so here's what we're gonna do. I said, I'm gonna give it to you 
because she, her and Erica run the church's social media. So she can flip back from her social media to the church's. And I said, so just add mine. And then if I ever need to post something, uh, I can come onto your Instagram and post it. Or if I, if I ever wanted to check it, I could say, hey, babe, check my Instagram. Let me know if anybody, you know, no big deal. And so she did it. And I deleted it from my phone. And the first couple of days, I was in that mindset of like, hey, babe, can you check it? Make sure you And then stuff happened and you moved on. And then I forgot about it. I honestly forgot about it. And it started setting me completely free to the point that anytime I sit down and counsel somebody, the first thing I tell them is you need to delete social media. It it set me free. I mean, it was just an incredible feeling. And and, and here was one of the examples. So Darla and I are, this is months later, just a couple of weeks ago, we're running some errands together and we start talking about a scenario. Let me give you the scenario. Pre-COVID, I was in the process of trying to get involved in a circle of pastors. There are these pastors, they pastor in Tennessee, not in Rutherford County, but in Tennessee. And they range anywhere from a church of 750 to three or 4,000. And they're in a circle and then they run in circles with other people that I wanted to be able to meet and connect with. And so my mindset was, I gotta get in that circle. And so I would go to conferences and things like that, and I would try to meet them, and I would stand around trying to just start a conversation, trying to build a relationship. I would go to lunch with them, just trying to build a relationship and all this kind of stuff. Um, And then obviously what would happen is you would have this like, this tension of comparison and competitiveness and and just weird emotions. I didn't know it. So a couple weeks ago when Darla and I were running errands, we start talking about it, and I said, babe, you know what? So I haven't felt that pressure in three or four months. I said, to be honest with you, I didn't even know I forgot all about the guys, to be honest with you. Like, I didn't even know they were alive, to be honest. Like, like not to be mean, but I totally forgot about them. And she said, well, why? What, what was the reasoning behind that? And I stopped and thought for a second. I went, you know what? It's because I deleted Instagram. Because that's the only place I stayed connected with them. They're not on Facebook. I don't, we don't text back and forth. So the only time that I was ever engaged with these people was through Instagram. And right there, standing in the parking lot, I was like, Revelation! That because I got rid of that, I inherited this peace because there are things that I should purposely stay away from. Now, Instagram's for me. I'm not saying it is for you, but it's important for you right now to start asking yourself. And here's the If you don't know, ask your spouse. If you still don't know, ask your kids. If you're a kid, ask your parents. What should I purposely stay away from? Well, let me ask you a question. What are you worshiping like it's God? (laughs) I told a guy I was counseling, I said, if someone asks you to delete social media and you struggle with it, that's a sign. That's a sign. You know what I mean? And I don't know what it is for you, but I think it's important for us in this season. What keeps dragging you into public when God would prefer you to stay in private? Well, what are you using because you want to be known, because you want to be famous, because you, what is it? Whatever you should purposely stay away from, do me a favor, start staying away from it. Get rid of it. Do whatever you have to do. It's so funny. When I gave Darla Instagram, I gave it to her because I literally thought, I'm going to go to you on a daily basis and post through you. I never made one post from that point forward. Because days in, I realized, whoo, <laughs> I don't want that anyway. Right? Why would God send, us, send his son to earth and then hide his priceless package for three decades? Why not send him when he's 30? Why send him and then hide him for three decades? Is it possible that in order for Jesus to be who he needed to be in public, he had to be prepared in private? Is it possible that in order for us to be who we need to be in public, husband, wife, parent, kid, Christian, who we need to be in public, is it possible that we have to be prepared first in private? Can I, I'm off the notes. Things are going to get weird. (laughs) Can I tell you the number one problem with our culture? We have too many people operating in public and they were never prepared in private. You can't say the things you say 
on social media unless you never once sat privately in the presence of God. Am I right? Because the Spirit of God will tell you quick. That ain't right. We got, people can get on their phone. They're not even brushed their teeth yet. And they're in public. You know what I mean? Like, you know what it was like. Anybody with me, like, before social media? Like, you didn't go outside before you did your hair, before you brushed your teeth, before you put some clothes on. You know, you had to make yourself presentable. That's gone out. My kids leave the house now, and I'm like, you look like a train wreck. What are you doing? And, you know, I'm, out, I'm brushing Casey Ray's hair as she walks out the door. Right? But y'all remember what that was like? If you tried to, your mom and dad be like, where are you going? You better, you better, do, you better fix yourself up. Because you cannot go into public until you've prepared yourself. But because of the idea of everything in our hands, we can be public before we've even rolled out of bed. We can be public before we've ever sat with Jesus. Mm. I, okay, all right. I might just stop the camera and preach for another hour on that and then not deal with y'all with it. But, okay, here we go. So you got your journal, get your pen. Here we go. I've been telling you Jesus is through this series. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the new normal. Jesus is, you know, the living water. Jesus is the bread of life. All these things. I'm going to give you a Jesus was, okay? And I know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I understand that, but you'll, you'll get where I'm going with this. Jesus was hidden. Jesus was hidden. We have to start valuing hiddenness. John chapter 7, verse 8 through 10 says, you go to the festival, Jesus said. I'm not going up to this festival. <laughs> Got some diva in Jesus. You go, I ain't going. Because my time has not yet fully come. Now, here's the tricky part, verses 9 and 10. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. So did Jesus lie? No. But Jesus didn't want to go with them where all the attention was. Jesus didn't want to go in public. Jesus wanted to go in private. So here was my question. I said earlier that if we were Jesus in today's culture, we would struggle because we post everything on Facebook and all that. And so my question was this. How, how, how is Jesus so good with obscurity. He's the son of God. Miracles flowing through him. He can be at a wedding, water into wine. He can be at a crowd, sack lunch into feeding thousands. How could someone who has lightning bolts at his fingertips be so anonymous and be okay with it? How is Jesus so good? When those dudes would have said to me, and you know you lost 70 people, right? And if you'll just jump in your car and go over to Murfreesboro, stand outside of Chick-fil-A and do a couple of miracles, we can double the church attendance like that. I'd be like, let me get my boots. Right? That's, that's how we are. So how is Jesus so good and so okay with being so hidden? I read this book recently called Anonymous by Alicia Cole. Here's one of the things she said that I thought was so profound. She said, Jesus grew up as a relatively uncelebrated boy from an unroyal family in the unrespected town of an unliked region. Have you ever thought about that? Like when we talk about Jesus, we talk about him as the king. Everybody in the South knows who Jesus is. And yet, according to her, she's saying he was, he was an uncelebrated boy. Like, like, he didn't get special privileges. He didn't walk through town. And everybody's like, oh, there's the Messiah. He was uncelebrated from an unroyal family in an unrespected town in an unliked region. And then I love what she said this. She said, which is bad news if you're running for office. But it's good news if your job description is embracing hiddenness. Come on, somebody. Come on. Listen, to you, 
Hiddenness will be bad if your goal is popularity. But if your job description is to embrace hiddenness, it's good news, right? Scientists say that icebergs are practically indestructible. Do you know why? Because 90% of it is hidden and 10% of it is shown. So if that's true, is it possible that an indestructible life is one that is 90% hidden and 10% shown? Now, let me say this, because I hear people say this all the time. God is hiding you now for something great later. You know what I'm talking about? God might have you underground now, but when he brings you above ground, you're going to change the world. You know, all those kind of things, which may be true. I'm not saying they're not. Maybe they are. That's great. But what if it's not? What if God doesn't have you hidden so that later you become some public figure? What if God has you hidden so that you can be a follower of God, a great husband, a great wife, a great mom, a great dad, a great employee, a great steward of your finances, a great lover of your community, great in health, and just an overall great person? What if it's not about you becoming famous? What if it's about making you faithful? Right? Like, it's okay. It's fine. If you become famous, great. Remember your boy. You know, like, slide, you know, help us out. But if you don't, it's not the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, are you okay being unknown? Are you okay being boring? So I wasn't going to share this, but I will. Um, one of the many revelations that God gave me during COVID, one of them was this, and it was probably the most priceless one. For two and a half years or so, Darla and I had been planting, you know, pastoring this church leading up to COVID-19, however long it was, two and a half, three years. And we had been running and running. We, we were at a point one time we were having dinners every night of the week because people worked during the day, so we were having to meet them at night. It was so bad Whenever we decided to take our kids to dinner by ourselves, we'd drive into a restaurant parking lot, and I'm not lying to you. My five-year-old, who was four then, would look at me and go, who are we having dinner with today? And when we would say just us, they'd be like, ah. I'm like, my goodness, you can live with somebody else. And here's what I didn't realize. I had gotten to a place where I did not enjoy being home with my family. And you say, that sounds really dark. Let me explain. I needed purpose. I had to be doing something. There was already always somebody else I could be meeting with and something else I could be talking about. So the idea of just being at home was hard for me. And I'm convinced God did all 2020 for me, so I'm sorry. Talk to God about it. But then he made me where I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't meet anybody if I wanted to. I'm still trying to schedule meetings. People are like, I don't know. And, and I was forced to be at home. And then I had this revelation of, you know what? It's in this moment of obscurity. It's in this moment of anonymity where I start to really feel the hand of God. And I start to really feel fulfillment. And I start to really understand what God's called me to do. And it's where I find joy in this season. And I understand that at some point, I wanted so bad to be a public figure. That the moment somebody said, hey, if you'll just go to Judea, you can get it. And I would strap up my boots. And God was saying, that was never my plan. My plan for you was to be hidden. Because when you're hidden, you start to have revealed to you the things that really matter. I was talking to my friend the other night. We were joking about Facebook. I just watched that documentary. And she said, I have 1,800 friends on Facebook. And me and another one of my friends, we were, we were making fun, messing with her, you know, laughing. She was joking. And then she said something so profound. She said, but let something happen to me 
and let's see how many of those friends respond. <laughs> I had another guy tell me, you know, I, I, I pulled off of social media and people started reaching out to me going, where, where, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where you been? I said, yeah, sometimes that happens because with gossipers, they want you on social media so that they can either see what you're saying or so they can talk about what you're saying. So when you disappear, they don't have anything else to do. Hey, where are you at? Why aren't you on social media? You know what I mean? Just something about that obscurity and that anonymity where you start to really have some things open up and you start to realize what really matters. Say this, I'll pray and we'll be done. Some of the gifts of God can't be given. They're grown. And they're grown in hiddenness. I have a few of them for you. Let me share them with you. When we embrace hiddenness, number one, we grow self-control. When you're out of the public limelight, you have time to grow self-control. You know what I mean? You have time to mess up a little bit and then be corrected. Watch this. When you're in brace hiddenness, you get an accurate portrait of God. Because when all you have to do is concern yourself with what you think and what Scripture thinks as opposed to what everybody else thinks, we talked about this two weeks ago where we have this assumption of who Jesus is and we fill in the blanks, right? Well, when you're hidden... All you have is scripture, your revelation, your prayer, and you get this accurate portrait of God. Watch this. You develop an unshakable identity. That's my favorite thing, is when you are hidden, you truly discover who you are. Jesus came out of 30 years of anonymity and went right into temptation with the devil, and here's why. Because remember how they started, uh, God came through and dropped the dove on him and said, this is my son whom I'm gonna please. He was about to get all the attention. He was about to go from 30 years of anonymity and then all this attention. And God knew, hey, it's gonna be really hard for you to go from anonymity to attention. So I've gotta prep you, so I'm gonna send you into the, the desert, I'm gonna send you into the wilderness, and you're gonna be tempted about what? Your identity. Because when you become public too soon, too quick, too early, and you don't know who you are, that's dangerous. The reason why I do not let my kids on social media is because they are not completely sure of who they are yet. And God shapes that, and I shape that. The world does not shape that, right? Another thing that we embrace is, is a trust in God's timing. How many times did Jesus say, hey, we about to do this thing? And God's like, nope, you're 13. Go play video games. You, you learn to trust in God's timing. Next is a disciplined imagination. What has public, uh, uh, you know, release or allowing us into publicity, what has that done to our imagination? Watch this, an eternal perspective. A submission-based authority and an anchor in God's word. These are the things that we get when we embrace ourselves in hiddenness or when we embrace hiddenness. Now watch this. I want to read something to you. I want to ask you a question, then we'll pray. Watch this. Put up the next slide. A lack of self-control, an inaccurate portrait of God, an unstable identity, frustration with God's timing, a wayward imagination, a limited perspective, a resistance of authority, and a lack of God's word. Is that not our culture today? Why? Because we got so obsessed with becoming public that we skipped over the season of being hidden. And it's in the time of anonymity and obscurity where we fully embrace who we are in God and who God is, and it's what sets us up, watch this, to be able to be who we need to be in public. The more 
I know God, and the closer I get to God, I don't even want to go into public. What if I told you that you becoming known, famous, a public figure, what if I told you that the cost that it will cost you, you're not willing to pay? The price that it will cost you, you're not willing to pay. Can I prove it to you? It cost Jesus his life. Nobody was trying to kill him for 30 years. Nobody ever walked up into Nazareth like, hey, where's that Jesus boy? They tried to kill him when he was a baby. Why? Because it was publicly known of who he was. And then Jesus whoop, disappears. And for 30 years, Melanie, they don't even bother him. And then he steps out claiming to be the Messiah. And from that point forward, he's avoiding Judea because they're trying to kill him. Every Christian who goes public, it's going to cost you your life. So you better get ready in private before you ever try to come out in public. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this season. Now, Father, we would embrace anonymity, that we would embrace obscurity, that we would do away with what, what are some things we need to purposely stay away from? Father, what's stopping us from reading our word? What's preventing us from prayer? What's breaking up our homes? How are we spending time around our dinner? Father, what's happening in our world? It's because we believe that anybody who wants to be a public figure will not remain in secret. And the heart change, Father, is that no longer do we want to be a public figure, but we want to be a faithful, disciple-making follower of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray right now for myself, for every person that's in this room with me, for every person that's watching online, that we would really meditate on this message and ask ourselves this question. When we say we want to be Christ-like, do we want to be like the 36 months of fame or the 30 years of hiddenness? Help us, Father, to yearn for that Help us, Father, to embrace that. And it's in the hiddenness that you prepare us to be a father, you prepare us to be a mother, and you prepare us to be a Christian. And then, when we're ready, you can use us however you see. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.